Hello there. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little amped up today. I've been drinking coffee all day because nothing excites me quite like an analogy. One that you come up with that actually like describes the world and you're like, yes, okay, that totally makes sense now. I mean, I'm an English literature major, so I think if I don't speak in analogies at least 60% of the time, I don't get a return on the investment I made in my degree. So, so I love analogies. And today I wanted to kick off this episode of Unthinkable by using an analogy to try and sum up and catch up uh, this entire journey that we've been on together. Here goes. So recall about a year ago, some of you were around for the beginning of this show, uh, we started with a very simple premise that really bonded us together and it caused a lot of really emotional responses in a good way. I started with a statement, we are all bothered by suck. That was in a blog post I used to launch the show. And, and we're all fed up with the average work that people seem content with doing because we're not. We aspire to be more exceptional. We aspire to leave it all on the field and give 110% and other weird sports phrases that people use at press conferences. In other words, we just don't want to settle for conventional thinking. We don't want to settle for good enough. So here's my analogy. It's kind of like this mountain peak in the distance. We see it, or, or almost feel it, but it's still kind of blurry. And even worse, there's a ton of stuff in the way. All kinds of unknown terrain, all kinds of obstacles, and frustration, and pain, and it's just easy to get lost, or it's easy to just stop and give up. It's, it's hard to get there. So at first, we just agreed on a few very broad things together about trying to get to that mountain. Number one, the mountain peak is definitely there, even though it's maybe blurry to some people. It's definitely worth pursuing, and there aren't any shortcuts to get there. In fact, people who pursue shortcuts in the name of doing their work are the ones that actually contribute to all that junk that we dislike. So as a result of all this thinking... When we started the show, we told stories about people who were what we called craft-driven. In other words, they loved the process of the work in and of itself, and that would yield a, a better end result, something done with integrity and quality and, and others in mind. But then we had to start our journey towards the mountain, and we had to venture into the jungle. which direction do we go? How do you actually begin? We could go in any direction in this vast expanse of trees and brush and animals and all this stuff. So that's when we uncovered a deeper meaning behind this word exceptional. To go from all that average to exceptional requires that we are an exception. In other words, we have to think for ourselves. We can't just follow some list somewhere. We have to be an exception. So, as a result of that, the stories on the show shifted a little bit to finding people who not only cared about their craft, but they did things that ran counter the convention. They thought for themselves, and that was a little surprising or different than the norm. So we saw the mountain, we knew this general direction we wanted to head, but now we really got to start hacking away at that jungle. You know, what is our machete to carve our path forward? What can we grasp in our hands firmly, concretely, that lets us think for ourselves anyway, 
In other words, how are you an exception? Well, as we talked about last time, it's your intuition. But the problem is, we can't really grasp intuition firmly. So that was our episode last week. We tried to make sense of intuition not as an ephemeral, ghost-like ideal, but as a tool, as something we can hold in our hand and wield. So we started by hearing all kinds of expert definitions, people from Einstein to Gladwell to psychologist Gary Klein, and, and a few more. And none of them provided definitions that felt all that concrete. But then we heard a story from world-famous photographer and entrepreneur Chase Jarvis, and we combined his story with everybody else's definition to land in reality, in a practical definition of intuition. Here's where we landed. Intuition is the ability to find knowledge from within. And that makes sense, actually, if you look at the root word of intuition, the Latin intuir. Translated, intuir means knowledge from within. So, intuition is the ability to find knowledge from within. That's not so mystical. That's a tool that we can grasp firmly and use to keep hacking away at this jungle. So we see the mountain. We know our direction. We even have a tool we can use, and that tool is intuition. And now we face this giant leap. We stand on this cliff, and we have to get to the other side. Because for me to say, trust your intuition, that sounds like a leap. There's so many reasons it feels risky or scary. For starters, there's all those definitions we tried to poke at last time. It all sounded mystical, or maybe a, a function of the subconscious that you can't proactively control with your conscious mind. Maybe intuition isn't as simple as we've defined it. Maybe it's easy to question this idea of intuition as knowledge from within. Maybe it's really about snap judgments or clairvoyance, as the experts say. And we're supposed to trust that at work? Or maybe, maybe I just need to listen to the gurus. Yeah, that's it. You know, the experts are experts for a reason. Maybe we've been doing something a certain way and we should just continue it. Or maybe I should listen to all those people on stages or on podcasts or in books. Or, or, or maybe I just need something else before I trust my intuition. Maybe I need more budget or more time or a bigger team or the right team or the right company or confidence or inspiration. Or, you know, wait a sec, I think I have a, a list I found. Or, or, yeah, I can go find any of millions of lists that exist from the, from the experts. Yeah, yeah, okay, that'll help me do this. <clears throat> Trusting your intuition feels like a leap. And that's a mistake. So let's face that leap head on. In the year since we started doing the show, few stories painted a more vivid picture of that leap, and few people faced it head-on, quite like Neil Pasricha. Today, Neil is a prolific keynote speaker, having spoken at events like TED and at organizations like Google and LinkedIn, and he's also a best-selling author multiple times over, and just one of the most uplifting, awesome guys you'll ever find, and a great writer to boot. But at the time our story takes place, Neil had encountered this scary leap. And what he did was, well, 
unthinkable. I'll be back after this story to see if we can't make sense of this leap thing, but for now, let's go back to the moment where Neil faced a really tough time in his life and decided to start a blog that would land him on the other side of that chasm, a blog called 1000awesomethings.com. Well, I launched 1000awesomethings.com on June 20th, 2008. And I did so at a time in my life where I was living in the suburbs of Toronto. I was married, but it wasn't great. Like it, it wasn't a great marriage. I was, I was 27, 28 years old. Uh, we'd been together a year or two. Respect and trust was all there, but it just there was the love was missing. And then on top of that, my closest friend, Chris, was suffering from severe mental illness at the time. So, you know, he's the guy I was talking to every day or two, and it was it was about kind of how he was feeling and how he was doing. And I felt this heaviness inside me. So I started up 1000awesomethings.com as a way to turn my brain on to something positive every night before bed. And that was his leap, a dark time in his life that he wanted to get past. And so he'd come home every weekday and write about little awesome things that he found throughout the day. Things that made me laugh, like getting called up to the dinner buffet first at a wedding. You know, and you don't have to deal with the congealed meatballs and you don't have to deal with the like the dregs of the lasagna pan, you know, fat baseball players like like writing a little essay about fat baseball players because they give us hope. You know, that was the point of the essay, by the way, because it's like if they can be a professional athlete, then so can I. You know, I don't have to be like this supple leopard or whatever. And it made me laugh. and made me smile. I posted the blog. You know, I went, to, I went to bed. 1000 Awesome Things was just a free WordPress site that Neil strung up in not a lot of time. It was a small project to give himself a laugh at a time when he could really use one. It was just, you know, simple. He didn't agonize over the design or the search optimization. He didn't have any coffee meetings with expert bloggers. He didn't even care if anybody read it. But oh, how people read it. The real tipping points were, so you know, one day I had 50 hits. Then the next day I got on the front page of FARC.com with my post number 980 on old dangerous playground equipment. And that post became 50,000 hits. A few thousand of those people stuck around, you know, and then that gave me inspiration to sort of say, oh, well, will Reddit pick up a post or will Dig, you know, pick up a post? And it was those hitting the front page of those engines that really prompted the blog into a higher level of readership. From that moment on, Neil committed to writing a new blog post every single weekday. For a thousand straight weekdays, which unfortunately for me, I didn't do the math, was actually four years. Like when you started it, you, you wouldn't have thought I'd sign up for something every day for four years, but a thousand sounded small. So I did it from uh, 2008 to 2012. And it was really good that I did it because as my marriage fell apart and my wife um, chose to move on, and it was it was a wise decision because the love wasn't there, but it wasn't what I was expecting and it wasn't what I wanted at the time. Um, and as my friend, uh, Chris, you know, he, he um, was really struggling to the point where he sadly took his own life. And it's hard to still talk about that, but, you know, it was... Uh, he was a commenter on my blog one day and then he disappeared and um, we went through the grieving process with his family and with our friends from school and I was writing about him on the website at the same time and so now I'm moving out of my house I'm moving downtown I'm 
trying to find new friends and the blog became a place for me to put my energy and my thoughts and my time that was very therapeutic and it was very positive focused when I was feeling very negative focused and it helped me. It really became a help. Eventually, Neil collected together some of his best articles and published it as a book titled The Book of Awesome. And believe it or not, that book landed on the New York Times bestsellers list. That yielded all kinds of invitations to speak all over the world, including a TED Talk that he delivered titled The Three A's of Awesome. He then created all kinds of products like desk calendars and notebooks, but he never lost focus. Despite all of that, the blog was the constant. The very first post that Neil wrote was published in 2008, and it was titled Number 1000, The Brocco Flower. It was about a vegetable that Neil had seen on a grocery store flyer showing this mutant-like thing that was, you know, half broccoli, half cauliflower. The post itself was just one paragraph long, and he finished it by saying, The best part is that people usually don't believe me when I mention it, and to top it off, I've never seen it advertised since. Like the mutant brocco flower was shunned by society and has since flown home. And then, standing alone, on its own line, written in all caps, there was a simple word, awesome. And so began 1000awesomethings.com. I did a few things at the beginning in the span of the two minutes I used to set it up that looking back on were really smart, but I didn't think of them at the time. One of those things was making it daily because that meant if I had a bad day and didn't have a post and I was supposed to post at midnight and I didn't have anything, then I gave the world a terrible post. Like ducks. They can walk, fly, and swim. Ducks three, humans two. Post. Like that was one of my sort of, in my opinion, my famous sort of like, just get it over with the post. And I wrote that in like 10 seconds, found a picture of a duck on Google image search posts and I felt bad I was like oh that's not really gonna you know and the comments were kind of making fun of the post but you know what the next day I had energy again and I had my streak again so I was like I can keep this thing going so making a daily regimen turned into be a like it added positive pressure to me and that really helped the countdown format also kept people coming back each weekday people thought they got better you know what I mean? Like I remember posting like number 995, finding $20 in your coat pocket. And people's comments were like, too early. You know, you peaked. That should be, <laughs> that should be in the 200s. You know, and then I'd be like number 994, you know, it's something that wasn't nearly as awesome. Uh, you know, getting grass stains after a big day at the park or something. And people would be like, what? How is that better than this? And so it created a debate, which I guess was part of the fun. And that creates some some attention to. It's really easy as a, as a creator to sort of believe that your last idea was just spent, right? You have this notion in your head of what you want to write and you spit it out and then you're like, oh no, I have to do this again soon. And your soon was tomorrow. Did you ever feel like when you published something that it was like, okay, that's it. I'm spent. Well, if, of course, because you know the, the unfortunate myth of the entire project was because I had titled it 1000awesomethings.com, people presumed incorrectly that I had a thousand awesome things. And a couple <laughs> weeks into this, when it started, you know, I got 50 hits or something, I'm like, I should probably make a list of every awesome thing I can even think of. I got a stack of blank paper and a pencil, and I was like, okay, I got free time. What's everything I can think of? And Jay, honestly, I had 12. Like I had hardly anything and eight of them right away. I was like, well, those aren't even that good. And so the thing was 
use your best stuff as soon as you have it because it begets and creates additional thoughts and future ideas and I say when you have something, if you're creative, just spit it out. Do it now. Saving stuff doesn't work, but by using it, the process of using it actually creates the next one. And I had to trust, like I only had to trust it because I literally had nothing in the queue for forever. Like I never had the next day's post. Because it was such a recurring thing in your life and you had so much else going on, you know, a day job that you were trying to make sense of, a new hometown that you were trying to navigate and, and a new network you were trying to build, you know, obviously very sadly you went through a, a divorce in your life and, and a, your best friend taking his own life and obviously there's just so much going on. Did you start with some kind of structure to the posts to make it easy or was it more freewheeling? Um, great question. So two things. One is it was totally freewheeling. I, at the beginning, it was like some posts were just pictures, some posts were a poem that rhymed, some posts were a one-liner, some were like a deeply personal, like you know, thousand-word essay, some like like a, you know, like a tribute type post to like this thing. Some were describing like a one-second experience or a five-second experience in like a twenty-minute read. So they were all over the place. I think the formulas came later. So. As I was reaching, you know, the 300s, the 200s, the 100s, I'd draw into my mental uh, bank and be like, oh, this will be a good one for a poem or this one could be, you know, a, a personal story or whatever. So so my favorite one ever was the parking lot pull through. My wife thinks I'm nuts. My whole family does. It's like when you pull into one spot and the spot in front of it is also free. So you kind of continue in like a boss. <laughs> and then when you pull out, you can just, you know, go straight instead of having to back out into traffic. I love it. I, I, I do it all the time. And then I discovered it on your blog. That's my favorite, the parking lot pull through. Um, do you have any favorites of your own? Oh, that's so funny. Well, you know, I mentioned the other side of the pillow. It came to mind because I feel like that one it strikes the nerve of, of the blog really well. And, and the nerve is this. The awesome thing must be free, okay? Like flipping to the cold side of the pillow it doesn't cost you money. Um, it's got to be simple. So you, everyone should be able to mentally grasp it right away. And then it's got to be universal, i.e., no matter who you are, where you live, what your background is, you can relate. And so free, simple, and universal was always my goal. And some other ones that are, are popular to me, for example, the one that first went viral, old, dangerous playground equipment, well, it's, you know, for the most part, free and simple, but it might not be universal depending on where you grew up. So, you know, it's harder to relate if you didn't have the gigantic, rusty, you know, wooden and nails things that we grew up with, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, you could actually, there actually was kids with casts, you know what I mean? With a broken arm or broken leg in school. It used to be like, who, can I sign your cast? Who's, what'd you do? You fell off the monkey bird. Now it's like, no one's in casts. I miss casts. I, I <laughs> broken limbs on children would, would maybe be an awesome thing. I'm totally joking, but you know what I mean? Oh, I think we found the title for the episode. <laughs> broken limbs. <on> children. <laughs> How did you get me talking about that? Oh man! So that's the that's the genesis story on on a thousand awesome, awesome things and awesome. my foray into the field of positive thinking. If I look back on it now, you know it's 2016. Like that was eight years ago, and I'm 36 now. I was 28 then, and it was just typing in how to start a blog into Google and pressing I'm feeling lucky. I mean that was the origin. If I think about today, some of the stuff I'm excited about and working on, it's like really it all came from that one five minutes of typing in how to start a blog. So after four years of this becoming a part of your life, you know, four years working to get on this like other side of this chasm, this personal leap that you made, how did it feel to publish that final 
blog post to end it all? So, so mixed in terms of excitement and, and excitement to sleep, you know, and, and stressed uh, and, and questioning myself on will I ever have or create anything of this, you know, capacity again. The blog probably at that time was getting maybe 50,000 hits a day. You know, and that was like its highest traffic moment other than, you know, maybe getting linked to from like a CNN or a Post Secret or, a, you know, a huge kind of website, um, uh, you know, but I was like, you know, why, you know, it feels both exciting and stupid to sort of stop a project like that. And um, but two things I think I'll, I'll, I'll give you kind of as, as takeaways from this. One um, is this poem I actually have in my new book called If which is written by Rudyard Kipling and he has you know this 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 line in there it says if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss you know and that that line just i mean it would take forever to read the whole poem although i include it in the book because it's over 150 you know it's this really long old poem that i found uh, while doing the research and uh, that is the feeling I got after, which means I risked it all, I gave it all up, but then I freed myself creatively to then have a blank slate again. Because it's not always just one leap. Once you get on the other side, you're probably going to encounter another one. New things become old, and you find the next challenge, both professionally and personally. When Leslie and I got married and we went on our honeymoon, she told me on the flight on the way home that she was pregnant because she wasn't feeling well uh, on the way home. And we had a layover in Malaysia. She got a pregnancy test. She did it in the airplane bathroom on the plane. And suddenly it was like, OMG, you know, or, or like we're about to have a child. I'm about to be a dad. And I... Um, you know, I flipped in a good way. Like, I was super excited to be a dad. Uh, I had a lot of my friends were dads. But also, I got worried, uh, you know, the state of the world and how do you consciously and ethically and thoughtfully bring a child into the world. And so for the next nine months, Jay, like literally for nine months, every single morning at 5 a.m., I set an alarm. I wrote a thousand words before I went to work every day. And that turned into a 300-page letter to my unborn child called Nine Secrets to Living a Happy Life. That project has since been renamed. It's now called The Happiness Equation. And The Happiness Equation is now Neil's new book, which is, yes, another bestseller for Neil. He's quit his job at Walmart and now makes a very good living as a speaker and a writer and an individual who is known for basically defending happiness. What listeners may not hear in the sort of nice verbal resume you just gave me is the amount of failures and mishits and side projects that didn't work throughout this entire journey, but also like in the lane next to this journey. So um, yeah, I'm excited about everything I'm doing and I'm pumped about this new book, of course, but that doesn't mean I don't start all kinds of crazy things that I don't do podcasts about because um, after literally one day, I'm like, well, this isn't going to work stop, <laughs> you know what I mean, or, or upload a video to YouTube that I'm like, this might be great, and then three weeks later after I sent it to everybody, it's got like eight hits. I'm like, hmm, there's not much traction here. I'm, I'm clearly missing the mark. So, so yes, I started A Thousand Awesome Things in just a couple minutes. What you can't see 
is my history with chatting about websites with friends or, you know, the ideas that never went anywhere. We get focused. We have that, I think it's called confirmation bias, like, you know, success bias or whatever. It's like you see the one I did successfully, but don't mistake that one that shot up um, as just an example of this is just Neil. It's actually just one that you know, one weed that grew taller than the rest. Some people work in a sector and maybe become known as as the person who's best in that sector. Some people have various themes that apply to work. You're kind of the guy that gets to defend and support and think about and and basically champion ideas like happiness or or being awesome. I mean, happiness and awesomeness seem like two amazing things that you kind of get to be known for. Just hearing that out loud, I mean, how does that make you feel? You know, it's incredible. The world is so big and yet so small at the same time. You say, you know, get to be a spokesperson for awesomeness and positivity. I really do see it like that. It's a a lucky uh, thing. And I'm I'm just really happy that, um, you know, I, I, I can hopefully... Uh, help people, but also help my help myself and my own family. Because sometimes when I get down, and it happens a lot, or I get into um, a fight with someone, or you know things, some we just have a bad day, or whatever it is. It's like I, I started writing the blog for myself. Remember, like that's I was in a bad mood. I was in a marriage heading the wrong direction. I started it for myself, and um, the happiness equation again. Is, is is like how do you live a happy life? I want to live one, and twenty only twenty percent people are doing so. But yeah, it's the thing we want the most. How do you actually do this? And so that's that's the answer. And so I'm partly hoping that these projects can inspire me whenever I fall down, and hopefully as a result of that, they can be good to other people at the same time. Walk us through that final post. We know how you felt about it. What was the post? And what was that moment like? Sure. And I want to just articulate the pressure I was under for this number one post. So for years, people were discussing and debating what number one could be. I had not thought of it yet. Like it wasn't like I had done the J.K. Rowling thing of writing the last chapter of Harry Potter before book two or whatever, you know. I like didn't know. I was like constantly weighing and thinking about how to close this off. And then I was invited to do an event around the the final awesome thing, i.e., the night that I posted it, I would do that live in front of a live public audience, which would also be broadcast at the same time on national television. So needless to say, lots of pressure, lots of buildup after four years of doing this project. And here is the number one awesome thing, that final post that Neil wrote. Number one, anything you want it to be. Below the headline, was nothing. It was just blank. It was just empty. And I wanted it to communicate that the conversation goes on. It literally is anything you want it to be because I've tried to write a universalist, but everyone's got their own views and opinions. That's the fun fun of it. And I wanted it to be open-ended, to be continued, because that allowed me mentally to close it off while still leaving a tiny crack open in the project that allowed me to play with the idea of maybe coming back to it at some future date. And you know what? 
Oh, it means a lot to me. I'm, you know, you're you're helping me kind of revisit and remember all the emotions I had when I posted it, um, and staying up, you know, till midnight watching all the comments kind of coming in and feeling all that. But luckily, I flew off to New Orleans later that night or the next night and met up with a buddy and just had a, like a relaxing weekend and it got to cheers to it, but also got to mentally say, ah, you know, let's try something different. For Neil, that final post felt like a stake in the ground, a marker on that journey that he's on to do exceptional things. He'd reached the other side of that chasm. He'd made his leap. And in that blog post, after all that blank space, after all that agony and hope and desire, after anything you wanted it to be, Neil wrote a single word in all caps, a single word that had been there 999 times before. Awesome. All right, back to modern day me here. Uh, yeah, trusting your intuition can feel like a leap. The, the forces of inertia or negativity or mindless repetition or copying others or pressure from others, all that stuff is really hard to break from doing. But here's the deal. We spend so much time doing commodity stuff today, stuff we've been told to do, stuff that others can and do copy without much effort. But if we really don't aspire to be average, we have to stop doing average work. In other words, we have to face that chasm between average and exceptional, and like Neil, get across. Now, Neil could have written that number one most awesome thing for us, but he left it blank. It's ours to fill in. And everyone will have something slightly different to insert there, because Everyone is an exception, and it's all thanks to that intuition we each have. So here is my big question for you. If it feels like a leap to trust your intuition, how do we get to the other side? We build a bridge. We build a bridge made up of fundamental questions that we can ask ourselves to pull out our answers from within. In other words, to wield this tool called intuition the ability to find knowledge from within. And I think to trust it requires one thing above all else. We have to stop obsessing over everyone else's right answers and start asking ourselves the right questions. After more than a year of telling stories on this show and aerating ideas through my weekly email to you, we've landed on six fundamental questions to ask. Six questions that if you answer and I answer, will land us in different places because we both are exceptions from each other. Neil's final post left it up to your intuition. What's the number one most awesome thing? Anything you want it to be. He can't tell you. I can't tell you. You tell us. You tell yourself. So how do you face that leap? You stop obsessing over others' answers and ask the right questions of yourself. But let's take this one step further from Neil's blank blog post. What are the right questions to ask? And what do they do for us when we encounter that chasm? If it looks like a leap to trust your intuition, how do we make it? That and more in the next few weeks. To join our journey in the right order... 
be sure to go back two episodes and start with the story called Our Journey Begins and listen from there forward. You can go and get more episodes before that if you like. Those are kind of the back catalog, all kinds of messy and awesome and uplifting stories that we went and dug up for you to prepare us for this journey. But from here on out, we're exploring this idea of making that leap. The show is off next week, but we have new stories and new ideas in the coming weeks after that. So you can get those plus some exclusive content, including invitations that I send out to have video calls together by subscribing to our newsletter. That's at unthinkable.fm. And you can sign up via email there, unthinkable.fm. That's the show this week. And seriously, my friend, don't just listen to me. Trust your intuition. But more on that next time. For now, here's some space to feel stuff. Feel stuff.